Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. This series is sponsored by Long Thread Media, publishers of Spinoff, Piecework, and Handwoven magazines. Find us online and subscribe at longthreadmedia.com. I'm your host, co-founder Ann Marrow. Judy and Maggie have been teachers of spinning and weaving and also uh, retailers in a, in, at Shuttle Spindles and Skeins for many years until it closed its doors. And I've asked them if they will tell me some of the insider tales of what it's like to be a yarn store owner and teacher and um, and and how that's changed over the years. And I should add that we are joined by Nula, who is Maggie's sheepdog, uh, who is keeping us company on this afternoon. What initially made me want to talk to you guys is that I figured for all those years, 28 years that Shuttle Spindles and Skeins was open, there must have been, you know, stories that you had between the two of you. And I was just wondering, like, what is it like behind the scenes of a yarn store? Do you really want to know? <laughs> <laughs> there are some things we cannot share. Or we'd have to kill you. No. <laughs> well, you know, some of them are... Some of them are sort of gentle stories, like, what would you not want someone to know? No, of course, yes. But, uh, you know, I think it was probably one of the most rewarding parts of my life, at least, just because we, we weren't just a store. I mean, we never, when we opened the shop, we didn't think of it as a shop. What we originally wanted to do is Judy wanted to teach weaving and I wanted to teach spinning. Uh, we had done that at a, a shop that was owned by someone else and decided it was time to go out on our own. And then we realized we couldn't really teach those classes unless we had stuff to teach them with. You know, it, it's hard to teach someone how to, to weave without yarn or how to spin without fiber. Uh, because our first love is teaching still, and we needed to have things that support that Equipment, books, yarn, fiber, all of that. And so we started with a small space that we thought would be certainly big enough to last forever and started getting some equipment in. And we had Gail Madden, who took care of our books forever. And she was excellent at choosing books that people wanted and, and being aware of the books that were available. So we started off, I guess, rather small compared to where we ended up. And I just remember um, someone coming in and saying, well, you don't have very much yarn. I thought we had tons of yarn. I, I was so surprised at that. And this was um, one of the people in the business that said that. Actually, what happened was when we opened, early on when we opened, we had a concert with Carla Siaki, who was a part of the Mother Folkers, the most carefully pronounced folk group around. And she did a, she did a great CD on, on weaving and spinning songs. And so she did a concert for us. And the person who had that comment was, was there and 
The fact that we could have a concert in that very small shop probably tells you that he was right as far as the amount of mm -hmm. yarn and equipment that we had at that point. But we'd only been open for a month or two, too. So we started out with that, and so we expanded our yarn. Unfortunately, we expanded it into what we were using for our classroom space. That started getting really dicey because you would be having a class, but customers would want to be looking at the yarn that was on the walls around the class. And it was disconcerting to the students to have other customers in there wandering around. And a little difficult for the customers when I was teaching a basketry class because we had the class tables going right down the middle of the very small room and they might get hit by a, a piece of basketry material as it was being flung around <laughs> and woven into the baskets. So. Not to mention the bathroom was on the other side of the classroom. So if a customer wanted to use the bathroom, they had to go to the other side. Oh, that was bad. It was hard. We didn't know any better. I was. I started thinking, you were talking about how someone said, well, you don't have very much yarn. And it, it occurs to me also that you had all different kinds of yarn. We did. And we decided early on that we wanted to have the whole spectrum of color of a yarn. So rather than a yarn that has, say, 40 colors and I carry three of them or 10 of them or something, we decided we would carry all 40 colors. So there'd be none of, the, <laughs> theoretically, there'd be none of this, oh, I wanted gray and you don't have it because we would supposedly have it. So we didn't have as many different kinds of yarn in the beginning. And we didn't have nearly as many knitting yarns in the beginning because our focus, Maggie and mine, was on spinning and weaving. So that's interesting, because what, what you bring to it in your own interest as spinners and weavers, and I had no idea, Maggie, that you could teach basketry, but what you bring to it from your own perspective can be a little different from what your customers are looking for. Well, haven't you noticed when you go into a knitting shop, often they do have a focus, you know, if you would go to Utah when Nancy Bush had her shop, she'd have a lot of sock yarns, probably not a whole lot of bulky weight yarns. So I, and I think that's the lovely thing about different shops that they each have something to please you. And how did that change over the years though? I mean, what I'm knitting now is not the same as what I was knitting 20 years ago. What kind of, what kind of trends did you see come through? The scarf craze. And that was later on. Right. We, when, <laughs> when we first opened, because we're such snobs, we said, oh, we will only have the finest natural fibers. And then we realized that there's all those people out there that need the acrylic, that need the washable yarn. And so that's when we got Canadiana in and we filled the room because at that point they had more colors than almost any other yarn company, I think, for that particular yarn. You know, we decided being snobs and going out of business or listening to what people wanted. Because when it comes down to it, if they're not buying it, we're not staying in business. 
And there was a lot, when we first opened, there was a lot of interest in spinning and weaving. And then it went a lot to knitting. I don't know. I, I mean, I think the pendulum swings. Right. Yeah, because we're back to a lot of interest in spinning every, and everything, weaving. Everything cycles. Right. Right. But I, I had to laugh because when we went to acrylic, the reason we did was the yarn rep, who happened to be the yarn rep of the acrylic yarn, pointed out that if you looked at yarn sales overall, more than 50% of yarn sales were in synthetic fibers. And we decided we liked our noses and we shouldn't cut them off. Right. They, they seem to work well on our face. As and wasn't that this the yarn rep? <clears throat> George. Oh, was it George with Canadiana? I thought it was Dan. Okay. No, no, Dan had always okay. had Cascade. When we first opened, and we opened in September, and the following summer, the summer, we, because we'd been going along, you know, you have to get the word out. People have to find you. People have to be willing to come to Boulder. And we'd made this huge sale. It was very, very exciting. We, this uh, man called and he wanted to buy a loom and yarn and equipment and a spinning I mean, wheel and a spinning wheel. He wanted to buy it all for his girlfriend or mm -hmm. wife his or something. Yeah. And he wanted to know, just please add it all up, telling the amount and he would bring a cashier's check. So she wouldn't know. Oh, so wonderful. So he came in on a Friday mm -hmm. and About. at mm, 10 to six, right before closing, Gave us the cashier's check. I was not working at the time, so I'm totally innocent. Maggie, however, was working. And Maggie, being the kind, thoughtful person she is, not only helped him get the loom out to his car, but... The baby wolf. Yes, it was a baby wolf. Uh, loaned him her bungee cords. And a blanket. And a, it was a blanket, too. Okay. Blanket, yeah. So that he could safely take that loom. And the spinning wheel. And the spinning wheel. And what kind of spinning wheel? Louette. It was a louette. It was a louette. Okay. So the next, oh, it was so wonderful. We cashed that check. I put it in the bank. It was summer. Summer is never a good time for a knit shop, at least. No, they just. Not here. Yes, not consistently. So put that check in the bank. I wrote checks. I paid bills. Life was so good. And then the following Saturday... In the mail, it said the check was no good. It's like, <laughs> what? What? We went over to the bank. It's like they couldn't figure it out. Well, what had happened is he'd made it in his basement. And the bank, the original bank, whatever, the first bank didn't figure our, it out. Our bank. Our bank tell. didn't figure it out. Couldn't tell. And so it wasn't until it went to the bank that it was drawn on or what, however it worked. I was on the phone really, really fast calling all these. And it's a Saturday. Was it a Saturday? Because Dan was there. Yeah, wasn't it a Saturday or was it but a I Friday? I thought it was a Friday. Maybe it was yeah. a Friday. Anyhow, we had to call everyone. And I'll tell you, we called Schacht. We called, I don't know, Glamokra, Brown Sheep Company, Casket. We had, I had paid so many bills and everybody was wonderful. Mm. We told them what had happened. They said, don't worry about it. 
because, of course, and the bank said, don't worry if those checks come in. We'll hold them. We'll hold them and not, because that would have done us in. What, what was really interesting, though, what made us love one of our yarn reps was Dan, it, mm -hmm. took, it took me a while because I got to take the check over to the bank. <laughs> so I was over at the bank trying to figure out why the check wasn't any good. And Dan was there and he wound yarn for the customers. He started helping he, out. He was just the most amazing help. I was so, falling apart. From then on, whatever yarn he repped, <laughs> we bought. We would buy that yarn, yep. That was great. Wow. Well, and then I remember there was a time not that long ago when somebody hid in the bathroom. Yeah. They yeah. actually hid in that in the space. No, I think they hid in the bathroom because that's the only place I didn't check. The bathroom in the big classroom. Oh, right. Yeah. Back there. But I think we need to finish up the story about the, the theft. Oh, the oh, guy. Sorry. Oh, about yeah. That. yeah. There is more. So it turns out we were not the only ones taken in by this guy. He was just a real cad. I mean, one of the things he did is he wrote one of his bad checks to a couple who was selling their computers to pay for their baby's hospital bills. This we found out because, I don't know, a couple of weeks later? A month, yes. A month, yeah. We looked outside and there were three men, I think. Oh, the FBI they, came. No, ATF. Was it ATF? I yeah. thought it was the FBI because it was no. across state lines. No, it's because I think ATF does banks. But, oh, uh, okay. But whoever it was, it was somebody Men in suits. Men in, yes. <laughs> men in black, basically. <laughs> White shirts and dark suits, which stood out so much in our shopping center. We knew right away they were not from our planet. <laughs> so did they eventually find out who, who this was? They did. And they, he did go to jail. And we got part of our money back. We got $9 a month for a year. Do we know what happened? Did he just fell on the loom and the... No, he actually got the loom. I don't know about the spinning wheel, but he got the loom for his mother-in-law who lives in Nebraska. And the loom has a serial number. I said, I will get the loom. I will drive to Nebraska. I will pick up the loom. It has a serial number. I can identify it. Here it is. No. They wouldn't let us. They wouldn't let us. They wouldn't tell us where it went. But yes, Obviously, it still makes me very angry. <laughs> <laughs> what annoyed me was we would get this check from prison. Oh. <laughs> but then we would get it, and then I would have to fill out a form and put a stamp on it <laughs> and send it back saying that, yes, indeed, we had gotten this, this check. So you got $9 minus whatever the cost of a stamp Indeed. was. Right. And, and it was just... An envelope. <laughs> we had to use our envelope. <laughs> it was just... Hey, come here, heavy breather. Do you want to tell her why? Do you want to tell them why there's... Come here, Carl. Why there's... What? Heavy breathing. Oh, oh. Yes. So Nula has, has been... She's been very good and very patient. but uh, and, and so she's uh, circling, looking for pets. Yes. Nula the, Nula the sheepdog. So I'm sorry, I started to, I had only heard the story secondhand, but um, there was a point a couple of years ago when there was a, a miscreant in the store after hours. Yes. 
it was um, it was January because, and it was a really chaotic time because we were having a new carpet put down in the retail area. So we had people moving everything around. At this time, we've moved to a bigger space. We're in a much bigger, a much space. bigger space. Right. And we're having the carpet replaced. To replace a carpet, you have to move everything, everything out of the and we space. Were, and we were just working on that. We hadn't had the movers come at that point. because. But what the, what the guy did was he hid. I just... And I saw him earlier. He was, he was just wandering around. And you know how something just often sets, sets a bell off that he just didn't seem like a weaver or a spinner or someone. Or a husband. Or a husband or, or a friend. Yeah. And then it got so busy because we were trying to, to pack things up to get ready to move. I'm assuming he didn't pay himself in cashmere. No, he wasn't very bright. But all he took was the uh, cash register. He broke the cash register. Oh, made me mad. The cash register cost more than the money in the cash register. And it had, and, and he didn't take the change because that was kind of scattered all over. But it turned out that he and an accomplice had been going around the shopping center and hiding in bathrooms. And so we weren't the only one. No. But, and then they wanted to know, is anything else gone? Who knows? <laughs> we would have no idea. Absolutely none. That's right. You'll know when you do inventory in January. We wouldn't even know then. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, I don't know whether I like this story better or Judy likes this story better, but, but, <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite stories about somebody who was in the yarn shop after hours who didn't belong was me. I had come down, I was, I had taken your weaving class mm -hmm. and I needed to finish up my project. And I, you know, I was driving down from work and I think I got there at like 5.55 and the shop closed at six. And so I said hello to the people in the front and I went to the back and, um, you did just, not say hello to me. I don't think you weren't there when I got there. She, she got there early enough that we had not switched. Anyway, so I, <laughs> so, but I, I, love, I was not told. That I love how this story is <laughs> turning into a shaggy dog story. Right. A shaggy dog, <laughs> right? So I, I, and I was trying to be quiet because I was afraid I was going to get kicked out. For well, being you were too late. in at that point. We had three huge rooms, and you were all the way in the back classroom, working where you would not. At that point, the classroom did not have yarn and things in it. So you were all by yourself. You weren't disturbing anyone. It was wonderful. Well, and I didn't turn the lights on, but, you know, this was not that this was a loom with metal heddles and I was trying to weave quickly. And <laughs> um, unless I was at the hem stitching part of it when you came in, I can't imagine that I was all that quiet. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to finish up and not get kicked out. So I finished up and I looked around and I thought it's awfully quiet here. And uh, all the lights were out by that time. All the lights were out. And I, I saw a panel on the wall that looked like a security panel. And of course, you know, of course, you can get you can get out of the store when you're the only person there. It would be a safety issue not to. Right. But I thought, am I going to set off all the alarms? And I think I think I had to call around to get your number, Judy. But I called <laughs> and I said, Judy, how do I get out of the shop? <laughs> 
<laughs> you're in the shop? It was, I, you're in the shop? Where are you in the shop? I just remember being flummoxed. <laughs> and I think your first words were, please don't take the, please don't take the cashmere, but you can have all the acrylic you want. <laughs> and we determined that, that, you, that the alarm panel was not hooked up. Right. I didn't want to tell this story while the store was still open because I didn't want to go telling everybody, by the way. <laughs> we no never alarm. had. You can just run out the door. <laughs> Yes, but I've been locked in a yarn store. Not quite overnight, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't excited, as exciting as a night in the museum. The yarn did not come to life around me. Good. And, and we learned to check much more carefully after that, too. Going all the way back. I remember glancing in the room, dark. Everybody was gone, turned out the rest of the lights and went home. Had to tell the folks who were working in the front, by the way, next time, <laughs> say if there's somebody in the shop. <laughs> yes. Tell those other people. Well, and people are always asking us, do you have very much theft? And the answer is probably what we have noticed being taken more than anything are our samples. When we do inventory, oh, look, here's this empty hanger stuffed way behind the yarn, that's where that sweater went. And one Christmas, it was Roxana's hats, right? Or Sharon's. Or Sharon's. Sharon's. It was almost every day we lost a hat. There's another hat gone. There's another hat gone. It was amazing and we just hope those people um, needed the hat. Margaret was in the back. This is when we're in the much bigger space and she was in the back eating and she noticed this woman wandering through basically stacks of our extra yarn. And she watched her put a bag of yarn, a bag of 10 skeins of yarn kind of under her coat. And so Margaret said, um, can I help you? Are you finding what you need? And she's like, oh, oh yes, I, I, I just, I, I wanna buy this and I'm just gonna go down to my car and get my purse. I, I, so I'll come back and buy this. Okay. Okay. It was an acrylic yarn. She could have had it. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Go for the expensive yarn if you're going to steal. I mean, come on. Well, and it's it's interesting because, you know, the one of the things about having a... Shuttles was, you know, certainly known all over, but had, a, had, had the heart of such a local shop. So... Um, you know, you, you got to know the, the folks who were students and regulars and um, what was it like to have a different rotating, a rotating cast with some walk-ons coming through your life every day? It was a lot of fun. Always interesting. Yeah. I mean, that was the best part. Even, even when people weren't taking classes, we always felt everyone who worked for us was always teaching because I... Still say we uh, we had the most overqualified, underpaid people oh, in Boulder yes. because they were so skillful in what they, they did. And uh, our, our policy was that if someone came in with a, a knitting problem, we sat them down at the table and somebody sat with them and, and worked it out. It didn't matter whether it was our yarn or not because our our theory was if... If we help them with this project, 
they'd want to do another project and perhaps they'd come back and buy our yarn the next time. And, uh, you know, that just standing behind the counter and helping and taking money from people wouldn't have been nearly as as rewarding. what we were about. No. Not at all. And it would be the summer and the vacations. We would get a lot of people who'd never been in, had a problem, and they would be, most of them were so apologetic. I didn't buy my yarn here. I'm from Boston or Los Angeles. And I just, I'm really stuck. And can you help me? And of course, of course we would help them. And usually they would buy something or they'd at least wander about or the next time they were in town, they would come back. And it's the repeat customers that you want. Oftentimes we had people that came in just to be there, mm-hmm. not to buy, just because they wanted to talk to us. They wanted to be around a friendly atmosphere, surrounded by lovely yarn. I mean... And a shaggy dog. And a shaggy dog. <laughs> we always had that tree. shaggy dog there. Yes. But yeah, you just sometimes you want to get away and they would, so many people found us their getaway. So what was the oddest thing? What were the oddest things that people came in and asked for? One of my favorite is when they come in and they want a strong yarn. So we'll say, here's the 3-2 pearl cotton. I cannot break the 3-2 pearl cotton. And they would take they would take it and they would muscle through and break. No. I need something stronger than this. I said, I cannot help you. I, I, every now and then we get somebody in that would do that. I don't know what they're going to do with the strong yarn, but it had to be thin and had to be strong. Hmm. My favorite was, could you show me where the good yarn is? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and we I'm, only have bad yarn. And I <laughs> never said it, but I always wanted to say, well, you see that door back there? Go knock three times. And... <laughs> I always wanted to tell them, we save that for our good customers. (laughs) Neither of which would be very good to do. But, yes. I think most people who work in retail have a shorter time than other people, just because they've had to bite it so often. That many times. To keep keep some what they want to say. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, people who don't work in or certainly own yarn stores, spinning and weaving shops. There, Some people have this fantasy about how wonderful it would be. And then you think about it and you think, oh, but, you know, my my hobby would become my job and these people who are my friends become my customers. But it sounds like you kind of, while recognizing, you know, and laughing at some of the more difficult times, really enjoyed it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Enjoyed it a lot. And you get to meet the most fascinating people. And some of the conversations that get started have nothing to do with yarn, but you learn so much. Yeah, I don't know. They start talking about geology or something. I mean, we're in Boulder and it's fascinating. And and people will come in and they'll see a friend. I didn't know you knit. Oh, you're a weaver? I mean, it it was like... uh, back in the old days, and you'd go to the corner store, which is the only one in town. And it was just fun. It was always just fun. So it how, was mostly just fun. Sorry. One I'm sorry. 
one of the things that Judy got to do was we had a, a customer come in and she wanted to make a, uh, a shawl for her, her son's bar mitzvah. Oh, I yes. was trying to think of the proper word for shawl, but, uh, and she didn't weave. She'd never woven. Right. But Judy sat her up, set her up and she wove the most beautiful. Talus? Talus. Talit. Or talit. 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 Yeah. Yes, she did. The sun came in and did it out of Jager spun wool silk. And the sun chose the colors. And the most exciting part was she took it with her when they went to visit Israel. And she was showing it to some of the people there. And they could not believe how wonderful it was. They were so impressed. She came back. She was so thrilled. She wanted to to buy the the case that the tallet mm -hmm. is stored in. So she was, I think she was close to the wall in Jerusalem. 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 And that's where a lot of the weavers are. And so she took the shawl in because she wanted it embroidered in the, the proper colors and everything like that. And they they were astounded that she wove it. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So how many people come in and say, I wanted, I wanted to learn to, in order to make a particular thing? The other one we had specifically was a man who wanted to make a blanket in his family tartan for the grandson that his daughters were never going to have children and now they're going to have a grandson. So we set him up and he was on the big loom that was right at the front of the store, which was wonderful because he was so happy to talk to people, tell them what he was doing, show them the tartan. And because I didn't work every day, it pretty much became whenever he had a problem, whoever was there would help him with the problem, which really worked out well. And so he did it and it was great. And then just a couple of years ago, he came back because there was two more grandchildren coming from yes. the children that were having none. And so this time he put on two blankets and he wove it again. And he pretty much just needed to be reminded how to thread the loom. And we all helped him and it was it was great. And I didn't have to thread the loom for a while. <laughs> Gave me a break. How many people do you think you've taught? Um, I, okay, let's let's do this. How many people? How many beginners do you think you've taught over the years? A lot. A whole lot. Well, you think that when we began, you taught your eight-week class twice, twice during every times four times four, right? So if and we had then, sixteen and, times four. So say 50 a year and multiply that. Well, but the other thing is too, we didn't just one day wake up and say, oh, I want to own a spinning and weaving shop. We had both had experience. Not only were we weavers and spinners, but we had worked uh, for another weaving and spinning shop before so and taught there. We weren't just the little old ladies who wanted to open a shop. Not at that point. At that point, we were young. <laughs> but still, <laughs> but still, you know, it was really interesting. This was in the early 90s and talking about uh, 
how times have changed. We, we went to the bank to get a loan and we had both worked for this other shop. You had actually worked a lot longer than I had. Mm -hmm. And you had, you had taken a lot of the owner's duties over as well, too. I mean, you had done, you right. had, yeah. yes. And had you worked for Schacht at that time, too? No, I had done some work. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. So she had respectable qualifications business. for yeah. our business. Right. And we had a business plan. Here's our business plan. Oh, we had, we were so smart. We went in there. We were so naive. And they said, what's the equity in your house? <laughs> because we were women and we had no experience. And it was a new endeavor. Right. Yeah. And I found out uh, recently, actually, that when we, the man we talked to, to actually um, rent us, lease us the space and everything, to himself said, they're not going to last very long at all. So how do you think you, you went from being, you know, smart teachers with experience in the industry somewhat to being able to make the kind of decisions that keep a, a fiber business going for 28 years? Little by little. And the, you know, we started out small and then we grew made some stupid mistakes. Yes. We expanded, we expanded into the large space two seconds before the housing boom collapsed. So that was the year uh, we always had a potluck at on rock day, which is always the day after 12th night. And I knew we were in trouble when we went around because I asked what their spinning resolutions for the year were. And they, so many people said, I'm going to spin my stash. And it was like, oh, oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> and, and, you know, it did affect business a lot. And so the, 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 our timing was way off as far as expanding mm -hmm. because business did not. And I think that was fairly close after the scarf craze as well, too. The, st the scarf craze was 2004, and this was like seven. Yeah. So... Yes. So we were still riding high on the scarf craze. And with that one, so many Saturdays, you would have Louise Bradley sitting on the floor with four or five, usually young women, usually about college age, learning to knit. They wanted to do a scarf. And they would. And people would come in all the time wanting to do a scarf. And then... A few years ago, everybody, someone, I don't know who, some magazine, magazines decided that having big fluffy blankets on the back of your couch would look so wonderful. And everybody wanted to come in and make one of those big fluffy blankets. Out of roving. Out of roving. And so if nothing else, I always wanted the customers to know that we would not lie to them. And so I would say, uh, it's such a bad idea. You, you really can't clean it. I, uh, it's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's going to fall apart. Do you have a cat or dog? You do? Well, it's not going to last more than a day. <laughs> and, and I, I would say, why don't you take enough just to do, say, a scarf? 
and see how that goes. And, and it was such a bad idea. Well, and it's still around. Yeah. And a lot of people, they look lovely. I, I think uh, there are some fibers out now that have acrylic in them that hold together a little bit better than mm -hmm. roving do. But, uh, yeah. What are some other funny fads you've seen? Now, there, um, there was a, a woven wall hanging trend that I think, you know, to some extent, they, like there's another trend of people wanting to express themselves on a simple loom, but the woven wall hanging trend was, um, did it, did one day just a whole bunch of people come in and say, I want to make this thing? Everything cycles. You know, when, when, when I started weaving in the seventies, you know, that's, that's when big hangings that are very popular today. With you know, fluffy yarns. With, with yarns. And a, lot a lot of, of texture. Fringe. Yeah. We're popular. I mean, it's uh, many of the things that you see today that are supposed to be very new and exciting are exactly what we were doing in the 70s. All of us. Except then as we got tired of it and started using smaller and smaller yarns. But there are some really lovely things going on. Just like if you look at... If you look at some of the macrame pieces that are out now, they are exquisite. But when you mention macrame, all I can think of is those jute plant hangers that right. I made so yes. many of. So my hands hurt just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Judith McKenzie, who as far as I'm concerned, is the world's best spinning teacher, will often say as far as art yarn, she's been through it, I think, five times. At least, yeah, I think it's five times. I've been through it three, but she was born with a spindle in her hand, I, I swear. And then there's all the different kinds. I mean, there was a moment when the yarns changed. I mean, it, yes. it seems, I, I, I don't, you would know a lot better than I would, but it seems like there was a moment in the late 90s, early 2000s when Eyelash yarn, which just hadn't really been a thing before, or ladder yarn, which hadn't mm -hmm. really been. Mm -hmm. And that happened about the same time as the, star, the scarf craze. So, yeah, the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were loving it and using it. And when you talk about making mistakes... One of our mistakes, which it took a long time to get over, was getting rid of yarn that wasn't selling. So the eyelash, the ladder yarn, it came, it was great, and then it went away. But we held on a little longer than we should have. Of course, we held off a little bit at the beginning as well, too. We should have jumped in it faster, understood it, it is interesting, though, when the scarf craze came about, that was all, it was not industry instigated at all. It was all the people who wanted to make scarves. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know where that came from. And I think the industry, the yarn industry, has tried to create something like that again. Socks, kind of, but maybe haven't. Shawls. You know, there are a lot of people, but no, nothing has, has hit everybody's, oh, I'm, I must do this 
the way scarves did. And what a lot of people were doing was they, they didn't want to really knit. They just wanted to make scarves. You know, they, they had no, didn't want to make a sweater, didn't want to make a hat, just scarves. And uh, one of our yarn reps just called them scarfers. <laughs> not knitters, not crocheters, just scarfers. Just scarfers. scarfers. Yeah. Well, that is the risk. I mean, if you don't, um, if you don't, if you don't bring it in, you can't sell it. Right. But so, so there's a risk in, in either being too, you know, bullish on something or being too conservative about too it. cautious. Yeah. And it also has to be, again, going back to each shop has its own personality. Eyelash yarn, not not on the top of either one of ours lists of what we what we'd want to do. Some of those other, you know, ladder yarns and things like that actually are kind of fun for weaving. Indeed. They yes. are. Yes. And the, you know, I remember there was a um a discussion about um is novelty yarn a bad word and there came a point where in knitting novelty yarn was a bad word, but in weaving it seemed like mm. it didn't really take that on. No, no. Novelty yarns are so much fun in weaving. They just had that little bit of extra. What I've really seen in the last number of years is the more expensive, um, what do you want to call them? More cashmere, alpaca. People aren't satisfied just to have wool anymore or cotton. The knitters want the, what do you call them? More luxurious fibers. The luxury fibers. Um, <clears throat> what is that? Kiviet. Oh, we get people coming in. We'd like to buy some Kiviet. So would we? Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, our bank account's not that good. <laughs> because it just so llama, camel. I mean, a lot of animal fibers people never would have thought about using. And they're wonderful. So a lot of that has been happening in the last, what do you say, five years, six oh, no. years, 10? More, more longer, longer than that. What I love, though, is that as far as wool, there's more of an emphasis on breed-specific yarns. Oh, right. Merino being, wool. Being a, Well, no, now, for a while, everybody who came in only wanted merino. And it's like, well, okay, that's like saying I only want vanilla ice cream. I never want Rocky Road. That'd which, be fine. <laughs> If she could have a scotch ice cream, she would be so happy. There we go. But uh, but right now, I think there is there is a real trend to to see what other wool fibers will do, which I love because merino is a lovely fiber, but it can only do so much. If I am scraping the snow off my car, I do not necessarily want to be wearing merino gloves. I want something that is going to hold up a little bit more. For a while, I had some cashmere gloves. I think I went through those. They weren't, they were commercially made. I think I wore a hole in them maybe the first week just walking the dog. So, so if we could just learn more about the fibers and their qualities and uh, how, how, to, how to take advantage of them. Hmm. Yeah. We had one grandmother come in, just a delightful woman first grandchild, and we did have that cashmere sweater, that little oh, baby yes, cashmere little, sweater, right. and she wanted to make that for her. Oh, I tried to talk her out of it. It's like, 
you know, you have to hand wash it and it's cashmere and it's a baby and he'll wear it 20 minutes and be done. Then throw up on it. Oh, and she knitted and it was expensive, even for the little one. And when she came back for the next grandchild, it was not cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> and she even mentioned that maybe that wasn't the best idea, but... It's, it's, I kind of put it in the same category as like a christening gown. You do it or a wedding gown. You spend way more money probably than you should for something that isn't going to get worn a lot, but it's Hopefully with very the wedding gown, not that often. Well, not too often, <laughs> but it's a very special thing. And sometimes you want to do something that is even more special than you normally would. Mm-hmm. So Judy, do you spend it all? Yes. I know how. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Maggie has a, Maggie has a weaving. She weaves. Yes. Maggie weaves. Um, but the two of you sort of specialized. You know, I think that's one reason why it was easy to, to be partners. When, when we first, when we first were deciding to do this, Judy was talking to her family and they said, well, who's going to have the controlling interest? Who's going to have uh, you you both can't have. Well, the lawyer said that actually. Oh, yeah, I thought it was your family. No, it was the lawyer. Okay, and so when so, Judy told me that, I said, "Okay, I'll take the fifty one percent." And actually, what we did was we came up with, um, I don't know, you can have five fifty one percenters a year. So if there's something that you feel really strongly about, we must carry this yarn. I must have this fiber. I'm doing 51%. And that'd be it. The other partner had to go along. And there were some times when we both said 51% about something. It's like, oh, we both agree. Okay, good. (laughs) But, you know, that made it easy. And the other thing that made it easy is usually we either agreed or it was easy enough to say she cares more, she knows more, let her make the decision on that. And so it just worked and there was not that much friction. Things kind of fell. Yes, there was one, one really. Which one? What? The carpet. The car- <laughs> <laughs> Judy pays most of the bills. And so she was less than thrilled to pay that bill. When we got a new carpet for the retail area. We'd been in we'd been in that space for two thousand, and we got the carpet in seventeen sixteen. Yeah, and and we tried to get the the shopping center to at least put some money in, and, and huh. not no. so much. No, but uh, I really wanted the new carpet, so we did go around with that. But I think that's the only one where there was really. A disagreement. Well, and then you had to add the cost of the cash register and the <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It cost even more. But, but after a while, you did you did decide the carpet looked really really nice. And I think for me, the best thing about putting the carpet in is we rearranged the whole space, and I think made it nicer. Yeah, it it just worked. It, it was time, so. It all worked out <sighs> for a lot of Deep money. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> but well, and the reason we re- rearranged it was because, of course, we had to take all the shelves and everything out of the space 
so they could put down the carpet. Uh, and then we didn't know exactly where we'd put things, even though I took I took pictures. Right. But, you know, didn't take exact measurements. So, <laughs> And the people that worked for us all had their own ideas. And one of the smartest things we ever did was listen to them. Um, you know, someone told us early on, always hire people smarter than yourself. Not a problem. And they had ideas on ways to set it up. It just worked. Mm -hmm. It just worked so well. So much, yeah, it just worked better than it had been. And that was really nice. We still had, of course, the um, the customers that would come in and look at the entire wall, wall, huge wall of yarn, piled literally to the ceiling. Every color represented 12 or 20 skeins and say, are these all the colors you have? <laughs> no, we keep the good colors in the back. <laughs> and then you have to knock on that door. <laughs> these sorry. are all the colors they make. <laughs> yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it is always kind of fun. And it's a lot of fun with people playing with colors. And people will have colors spread out all over the floor. It, which I think is great, you know, trying to figure it out. They want to get it right. And when they ask me what color they should pick, I say to them, if you're making it for me, here's the <laughs> one I like. So um, I think word started getting around around this time last year in 2019 that you two were looking to not be running shuttles you know, at this at that time in 2020, we we put it in the newsletter. Yeah, <laughs> and and we told people about it. Um, our lease was up, and they don't like doing a year to year. They like doing three or five years, or preferably ten. And we had done that length of time before, but it was it was time. Well, and I think, you know, it's, I think restaurants have the smallest profit margin. And I think knitting shops are pretty, pretty close to being Very second close. as far as that. You know, it's, it's really seasonal. Jean Broco and Sons, which is a, a gardening shop in Arvada, but Carrie always sets up in the shopping center. And when Carrie sh shows up, we know our business is going to go down. Not because of him, but it's just when, when the weather warms up, people put away their needles. One woman came in and she said, you know, I am a foul weather knitter. You know, I, I knit when it's cold, but when, when the weather heats up, and the I needles go down. So, and that can make it tough. Well, we're just as bad. We spend our money on the plants. I know. <laughs> The other problem, but we still knit and spin. Yes, but probably not as much. I don't know. Um, so I think a lot of us hoped that there would be some someone would come in on their on their white horse and and um, buy the shop. But then earlier this year, um, it, it sort of became clear that the shop would be closing. Yes, and it sort of you know was all at once because of the pandemic. 
Right. Well, they had a white horse. They didn't have a big enough check. Mm. And, and basically, it was because of the inventory. We had so many people write to us wanting to buy the business. Um, so we went through this whole process. As soon as we sent out, we told them the letter that you put together. Mm -hmm. This is this is what we have in inventory. This is the wholesale inventory. Wholesale inventory, which did not include all of the cabinets, all of the looms for teaching, all of the wheels for teaching, all of the everything else, basket, all the stuff we had for teaching. That was it. There was absolutely no way that anyone could afford it. And the one offer we did get, he wanted us to carry him. And we decided early on. When you say carry him, what does that mean? We, he, he buys the shop from us by giving us, you know, $100 a month or something. Oh, so like rent to own Like shop. we're a bank. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, but as it turns out, it was probably one of the best business decisions we ever made because of the pandemic. I mean, to have tried to keep that shop open and be able to pay the rent with the limited number of people, again, going back to restaurants, I, I can really understand how hard it is for a restaurant to try to maybe not even make a profit, but break even on 25% or whatever oh, it is. Yes. Uh, we, we went to the Longmont Yarn Shop to talk to Gail. You know, uh, That's the other thing. I think most of the shops in this area, none of them are really in competition. We all work together, which is why the Yarn Crawl was such a success all those years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just, I mean, she's handling it really well, but to only be able to allow so many people in the shop at the same time and to, to allow social distancing and worry about how to keep all that yarn clean. Yeah. All the surfaces <laughs> clean. All the surfaces, yeah. It just, as, as sad as I am to not have the shop. And, and I think there's a lot of grief in, in closing the shop because it's... Of course. It's kind of like, I don't know, sending your kid off. Worse than sending them off to college. Yeah. We had it longer than we had the kids before right. they went to college. Yeah. Although, you know, there, um, I, I heard Amy Poehler say of her now finished marriage that she thought that, you know, something that lasted for 15 years. And if you were still friends at the end, that that, you know, that was still a pretty good outcome. Indeed. <laughs> right. And in a way, you guys are still talking in the present tense. You know, the shop closed several months ago, but the retail storefront closed. The building. Um, Yes, we don't we don't have that space anymore. <laughs> we now have our houses and three storage units where we have a lot of inventory still. And Maggie has the teaching wheels here. I have a lot of the looms at my place. Uh, we both have stuff in our houses from the shop because we bought we got one storage unit. Realized that wouldn't be good. Got the second storage <laughs> unit. And then it was like, oh, when I went back to order the third storage unit, the man said, I'll give you a great deal if you want to buy the whole bank. <laughs> <laughs> so we still have a lot of stuff, which we're still selling. And 
we both want to keep teaching. So obviously we will continue to have, especially for spinning and weaving equipment, books, things like that available. And who knows when we'll be able to go back to a real classroom. Hands-on teaching. Hands-on teaching. But I noticed that the shuttle's spin-in is still happening. It is. We, you know, it's, it's interesting. We just had it last Monday, and we had 30 people, one from Alaska, one from Michigan, one from New Mexico, and who am I forgetting? Oh, California, Ursula. Hmm. Yeah. So, so we actually get about the same number of people, but people who could not come to the physical spin-in can come on Zoom. What I, what I miss most about it, and I think we all do, is we do a show and tell, which is great fun. So we all see what everybody is doing. But we don't have that lovely chit-chat that mm -hmm. you have just while you're sitting next to somebody and spinning. Mm -hmm. right. And I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. That was to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was something where you, the show and tell involved passing things around. Indeed. So you could not only see it, but feel it. You could touch it. Mm -hmm. And... Once we can get back to normal, we, we will have a space. The other thing is that Roxana Bartlett started community knitting. I don't know how. Fairly yeah. soon after. Just a few been. years. She yeah. was one of the first employees. Yeah. And what she would do is she would have a group once a month and she would come up with a pattern that she designed, all kids things, and... We provided the yarn, they provided the, the sweat equity, so to speak, and the needles and things like that. And then they would, they would start the program, they would start the project at the, at the meeting and then finish it and bring it back the next month and donate it. And so, oh my gosh, she got together so many things for children in need. Uh, we started out giving things to the reservation in uh, in the Midwest, and then the person who was in who was in charge of sending things to that particular reservation, I think she actually died. Mm -hmm. So uh, then we started. Then we focused on children in need in Boulder County, and that is still going on as well too. So, so they are meeting too. So shuttles. Shuttles lives on in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Well, that is so exciting. And I, I actually recently made a made a quick purchase from you guys, too. I was like, do you have one of these? Why, yes, I think we might have one in the storage unit. <laughs> I'll get back to you. <laughs> so your, is your, your, your website is still up and running? Yes. The website is still up and running. We're working on getting our what we do have up so people can see it. At this point, they email and say, do you have a 15-inch flip loom that I could buy? And the answer is yes or no. We look at what we have in the, in the storage, and then we just make arrangements to meet them so we can do it safely. Curbside sometimes. Yes, it is curbside. <laughs> Your curbside spinning and weaving shop. That's right. Yes. Well, it is just so exciting to think about having, um, you know, taught so many folks all around the world how to spin and weave. And, and there's still being um, plans to do that more in the future, just in a different, in a different 
A different place. format, not, yes, exactly. One of my favorite stories is the woman who lives in Belfast and considers us her local yarn shop. Ireland? Yeah. Yes, oh. at Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My folks live in Maine, and I thought, wow. Well, oh, okay. Oh, yes. Ireland. In Ireland. <laughs> That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it really does go around the world, and... This year, actually, someone came back and they had been over, before, well, we could still go over, over in, I don't know, France or Italy or somewhere. And something came up about they were from Boulder and they're like, oh, do you know this yarn store? <laughs> she was she was amazed. Mm -hmm. yes. But Boulder is a great place to have a yarn store because we've got the university. We have people. Um, what have we got? NIST, NCAR. So people from all over the world are the coming to Boulder. Well, but I mean, coming here and actually living for a while. And hey, Colorado, for some reason, has. I, I wonder if you have an idea why. Colorado has been such a great place for fiber. I mean, Halcyon Yarn was was probably gone to Maine by the time you guys thought about starting. But no. no. Well, by the time that, we started. but Yes, but that lumen there. Mm. Came from Halcyon. We both. She was in Denver. Yes. Right. So Halcyon mm. Yarn. Of course, you know, Linda started Interweave up the road in Loveland. Right. Barry um, started Shacked. Mm -hmm. Barry and Dan. I, I think it was just serendipitous that so many people started businesses that mm -hmm. turned incredible. I think it's the water. Well, oh. and then, you know, Deborah Chandler... Um, uh, Her folks, Green Tree Ranch, and and Barry Shack tells a story about he how he started Shack Spindle because she asked him for a spindle order. Right. So it, it, there is something about this place. And you know, Barry owned the weaving in the weaving shop when it was in Boulder, and the people who bought it when he decided to sell was Debbie and Eric Redding. Right. Who then became then Deborah when they when they separated mm -hmm. that's when she went she decided to become deborah chandler yes so yeah and that's where we both learned mm -hmm. a lot i mean you already wove before you moved here right and debbie asked me they were separating when they when i came in and she asked me if i would teach and eric said he would like me to work in the shop and I said, sure. I mean, I missed teaching. I had taught uh, before, but middle school. And I tell my classes, there's, I've never had a student in my weaving classes that actually threw a chair at me. So consider myself lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember one time, Maggie, that you were leaving a, a, a class, I think it was a class at SOAR, a spinning class. And uh, somebody said to you, well, Maggie, how'd it go? And you said, well, nobody cried. Nobody left. <laughs> it is what spinning teachers tell each other. How'd it go? Nobody cried. And it's just because people are so hard on themselves. It's not, it's not the technique, but we have to learn to not have high expectations when we're trying something new. And we should always try something new. Always, always, always. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making time for me on this lovely afternoon. And I look forward to spinning and weaving with you uh, in person soon. Anon. 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 Yes, that would be great. Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again.